In the wake of a long and terrible war, our story awakens. With a future that is challenged by evil forces and tempered by powerful magic, a world struggles to find its destiny. A destiny which you now find yourself a part of, as the prophecy has foretold. These are the savage tales of Eberron. Now, settle in and prepare yourself for the thrilling adventures of our brave crew as they seek to make their own fate on this week's episode of Mourners of Lazar. Hello, you beautiful people. Welcome back to this new session, session, session. I am Ernesto here playing Turco. I'm Kevin and I'm returning as Rascal. I'm Ellie as the newly minted captain, Dana Irlazani. And I'm Michael with Torlin, and I can't roll my R's. And I'm your dungeon master, Philip. Welcome to the Savage Tales of Eberron, Mourners of Lazar campaign. We're starting in a new season tonight entitled In the Name of Seer. Thank you for coming back and listening to us. We always start our sessions off with background question for all the characters. Tonight's question is, was there someone in your family, immediate or extended, that you idealized growing up? What influence did that relationship have on you? Ah, well, Turco here thinking really hardly, hardly about this question because during my life, I would say, a proper family I didn't have. As far as I know, my parents died during the war, probably being scouts for Sire as their shifter capabilities allow them to do. But after that, not having much relationship with any more, any, any other people, I got some friends every now and then. They were like loosened relationships that didn't last very long, only enough to survive at the time. But I think there is one particular person that I can think of, an extended family, if you will. And this is a person that I met while sneaking into a circus, while trying to gather some food, uh, some food that remembers some apples, I was immediately taken by surprise by this beautiful half-elf woman named Elisie. And uh, she at first seemingly really threatened to, to me, uh, as I, I, mean, I was really young at the time. And uh, I haven't much of the same uh, confidence and ability that I have now, which is extensious. At the time, wasn't that, that so. But after meeting her and then uh, trying to ease my way out of this situation, she kind of saw the good heart in me. At least that was she says. And um, she got fun of me to some extent. And again, and I started to sneak more regularly into this circus. And uh, she happened to be a really good dancer, uh, was one of her jobs at the establishment. And uh, she was a rope dancer. And at some point, I really got curious about it and started to practice with her. And, and at the night, the, the times that I got to sneak up with her, there was like no people there. Or the, she was like, she and I just practicing, she teaching me. She was really kind and really caring, which was a rare thing for me at the time. I will say that were one of my first steps into rope swinging and rope just learning how to use them, uh, which then come in handy when getting into piracy. So, yeah. 
sounds like you're quite the ladies man Truco. I wouldn't say that I mean she they say that you think you could teach me some of that dancing technique sometime uh, maybe maybe I always had two left feet that's a unique characteristic my friend can come in handy I wish I could say mine was was as fondly remembered but I didn't have anybody in my immediate or extended family that I idolized I guess you could say my father, but the idol that I built for him was one of hate. I hated that he died and left my mama and me alone. Now, I was so young back then. If I saw him today, I, I wouldn't even recognize him. Never knew him. Never heard his voice. Never saw his face. Don't even know if he would have been a good dad. Never had the chance. But I hated the war that took him from me. I hated the soldiers, I hated the crown, I hated oh, just about everyone back then. I, I remember so many times those military parades going by, hippogriffs in formation trailing colored fog over the marching bands and whatever Vidalis had done to give them those long streaming tails just dragging in the wind. But when I saw Sky Knights, all I could think about was how unfair it was. They were up there and my daddy was rotten in the dirt somewhere, or worse, used in some Carnath Fort's foundations, like the rumors said. That's how I grew up. Angry, bitter, and in a place like Top Shelf, the highest layer of Metrol's Undercity, people like me, they fall in with a certain crowd. At least, I did, when I fell in with anyone at all. I never really had friends for long. <laughs> Can't imagine why. Oh, my shining personality must have just been too much for him. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have been friends with me either. I didn't think I had much of a future. And if I'm being honest, I probably didn't. Till that fateful night at the Spirited Goose when Garmaya Rubaya put one drunk, angry Ruskal Valeri down on his butt, set me on the right and narrow, put me in the company of mages, taught me how to focus that anger. Well, rest is history. Well, you didn't say a word there about your mama, so I'm not going to be the one to ask, but it seems to do have in common, but I only had one of my parents. It was, it was just me and Papa, my father, Joran Moreno. I never knew my mother. She died when I was born. And once every year or two, Torlin came to visit for a few days, but other than that, it was just me and Papa. You know, some people think it's you get dealt a bad hand by... By losing a parent the way I did, and I'm not gonna argue with that, but <laughs> damned if we didn't have a good time together. A girl couldn't have asked for anything better. When when I was little, there were only a couple dozen people in the village, but I I told anyone within earshot that my papa was the strongest, bravest, most handsome man in the whole village. Because that was exactly what I believed, and I still do. He, he taught me everything I needed to know. He taught me how to run the farm. We had some crops, and we had some, uh, some goats and some chickens, and he taught me how to take care of all of them. He taught me how to cook dinner, but he never left me to do it alone unless I wanted him to. It was always something we'd do together. And more than just teaching me the practical things, if you want to call it that, of getting by in life. There was this one time, I must have been about nine or ten years old. 
It was one of those days where we were making dinner together and a little bird smacked straight into the window and fell to the ground. And uh, then I ran outside and he ran after me. Picked up this poor little sparrow had just been stunned from from smacking into the glass. At least I thought it was just stunned. And he took one look at that little sparrow and just said, okay, let's let's take it back inside and and look after it. And we did. You know, I got a little got a little bit of cloth and some hay put in a little box, tried to, you know, put some water and some grain from the barn for it to eat. And I was not going to bed until that little bird was okay to fly off. And I think Papa knew that wasn't going to happen, but he sat up all night with me anyways, watching over that little bird. And in the morning, when it was time to go bury it, I, I asked him what the point was, and he just told me that the point was that we gave it a chance because every living thing deserves a chance, and that we gave it comfort, and that every living thing deserves comfort. And that even if we couldn't help that little bird if its fate was sealed the moment it smacked into our window, that we were still better people for, for having sat up with it. And put in a little box, buried it out under the tree, and uh, had some breakfast and and got down to, to work for the day because there were still a dozen live chickens in the barn and they weren't going to wait for us to go take a nap because we'd been up all night. <sighs> he died when I was 16. Nah. I don't know what happened. He just, his heart, heart just gave out while he was out working one day and... Uh, I don't know that I ever quite got over that. I definitely, uh, well, things changed when that happened, but if I only had to have that one little bit of family, glad it was him. Couldn't have asked for better. Well, there's a saying amongst us dwarves, you know, the potato bud always grows close to the original tuber. And I see a lot of you and your grandfather and your great-grandfather, and I never really knew, uh, I think, your father too well. He was always very busy with the farm, so it was Rickard, your grandfather, that used to bring you to our meetings when you were a wee lass. Well, as for myself, uh, I had a relatively good relationship with, with the old man, as well as one could have. He was a fisherman, didn't have much time for anything, and... Well, there was a point in time when I was growing into my early adulthood that I grew envious of those Colcoran sailors over an hourl dusk that instead of doing the fishing, they were collecting our trade and doing the selling. And I thought for a time that that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but then, of course, the war came along and I got swept away into the regiments. I suppose that there is a a tale that comes to mind, though, I idolized the heroes during those early years in the war. And, well, this one, it might be actually relatively important for the rest of you. The name's kind of familiar to one that's come up here on, on this map that we're navigating by. Uh, there was a man named Hakes the Bird-Eye, and it, the name's kind of similar to old Rickety Hake. Bit familiar to that. 
And that name was not forgotten amongst the Coladrin sailors and mariners of the last war. So, there Coladrin was, the man-at-arms aboard a deck of a Brelish Carrick, patrolling the Scion Sea, of course. We were riding the aft of their quarry, the Thranish privateer's ship, Bearded Whore. Now, I think there's a joke about Thranish ladies in there somewhere, but uh, I don't know the original. But anyways, the Coladrin's ballista men been pursuing this privateer ship, and they had at that point shattered their mizzenmast with their ballista bolts, and the Bellish ship was closing the gap. And the privateers, on the other hand, they had captured a most fortuitous prize. Breland, you see, had deployed a number of its new arcane artillery designs to the navy, and while well, the bearded whore had captured a ship bearing a long rod and had redeployed it here on the ship that the Brelish were chasing. Now, at the time, the crew on the weapons deck had been considerably reduced by the sustained ballista fire, and just himself and a handful of good men aboard the ship was Hakes the Bird Eye. And you see, he needed a Hail Miran to make it out of that situation, let me tell you, with a cauldron on his heels. So he sent his runner up to the helmsman. One last turnabout to port, line up the long rod. And then Hakes, he pulled hard on the pendant around his neck, a gift from his sweetheart, his lass. He crushed a casing around a small contained dragon shard pressed it to the brass loading plate, sizzling as the cracked fragments of their dragon shard singed and reacted with the arcane device and primed the long rod for fire. And the bombardier and Hakes working in unison managed a direct strike on Coladrin's ship. Energy crackled from the tip of the rod across the gap of the sea between the ships, colored in brilliant purple hues, and then one single streak of vibrant yellow, the color of bird eyes, dragon shard pendant that had been given to it. And the magic missile ripped through both the fore and the mizzen masts and severed the ropes holding the stay sails, and the Coldadrins had no choice but to give up the chase. Now that's the kind of sailor I aspire to be. I want to be, I want there to be legends written about me to go down in song and in spoken word. Now what happened to that ship is anyone's guess. But this name, Rickety Hake, has come to the forefront of our directions. Could he be a relative of this bird eye? For anybody who's joining us, I'd like to give a recap of what happened in the first season of Mourner's Lazar otherwise going by the mutiny against the Cloud Reavers. So our intrepid band of adventurers, a shifter named Truco, dwarf named Torlin, with his uh, compatriot Dana, human, and Ruskell, another human, at different times found their way to Regalport, all to have an evening separately in there on the 17th of Zantir, only to wake up in the next morning in the brig of an unknown ship, clearly not in Regalport. They came to find that they had been pressed gang by members of the Cloud Reavers, joining the ship, the Storm Reaver, captained by none other than Mika Rockface, the leader of the Cloud Reavers. And with a clear demonstration of the uh, meanness and brutality of the Cloud Reavers, the, our mourners 
watched one Jake's Magpie get keelhauled that very day. And um, into the second day, these newcomers were met by a probably standard Cloud Reaver greeting of getting jumped by a bunch of different members of the crew before they got up to decks in the morning. Parties showed their mettle, only to suffer some discipline later on for that work. Life on the ship was very hard and brutal for all of them. Russ was reached out to by Sindar Quinn, who began to express the need to make friends on the ship. And because she had gotten on the bad side of the first mate, Master Scourge. And slowly over the course of the next little while, the crew begins to kind of like connect, seeing that there's there's Siren survivors. Uh, they've all been press ganged on here and slowly begin to make some friends. The following night, Torlin volunteers for a fight with a uh, simpleton under Master Scourge, one owlbear. Master Scourge would bring him up for brawls and fights. Then the next tension that came about is within a couple days, a storm started brewing and then the storm hit. For a number of couple days, everybody was working as much as they can. The exciting moment came when an accident knocked Giffer Tibbs into the drink and immediately Russ just launches himself into the water to save Giffer Tibbs, who they'd had some contact with down on the decks earlier. All of a sudden, almost everybody is in the drink, except for the craziest one of these mourners, the shifter, Truco. But they managed to save Giffer and everybody makes it back to the ship. And at this point, uh, they had all gotten on the bad side of Master Scourge and the first mate, Mr. Lagra, quite extensively. And all of them were given the worst duties on the ship possible uh, for a number of days. And finally, eventually, the first prey came about. And a Braylish ship sailing under a Braylish flag and the Sea Dragon flag, uh, headed towards Regal Port, most likely, uh, was attacked. And our crew was charged with taking the quarterdeck with the helm. Though during that time, under great stress and tension, Dana manifested a mark of sentinel to the surprise of her and everyone else. Truco managed to actually save the life of Captain Rockface from one of the sailors attacking her, unbeknownst to her. Then after a day of celebration party, after successfully capturing the majestic Griffin, the Cloud Reavers clearly decided that this was a ship that they were gonna take and add it to the Cloud Reaver fleet. So a skeleton crew was put together First mate, Mr. Lagra, was given captaincy of the ship. Master Scourge was from Boatswain, was now made into the first mate. The mourners were all added to the ship as well. And they set off, only to discover quite soon, rather than going to Port Crez, the ship headed in another direction. And with it looking like Mr. Lagra was going to set off with her own ship. At this point, Torlin had been chained to the main mast for murder of three other crew members who he believed was going to kill him in the bilges just day prior to the attack on the majestic griffin and this time dana decided it was time to stage a mutiny and gathered everybody and successfully staged a mutiny in the very early morning times before even the break of dawn managed to dispatch mr lagra the rest of the crew was taken with uh, very little difficulty really However, then the ship was immediately struck with a storm 
severely undermanned and undercrewed in a ship that was already damaged. They were blown about and struck into a deserted island. There, they left the ship looking for new freshwater stores, as well as when they discovered that Sundara Quinn and one Tamroth Scrimshaw had been taken captive by some Grindelows. After scouring the island for a day, they found the cove that they were kept and went underneath there and managed to rescue and save Miss Sundara Quinn and Tamroth Scrimshaw. And at this point, they've come back to the ship and it had been successfully repaired by taking the decking and repairing all the damage down into the, the lower hull. And from here, they are intending to sail to Rickety Squibs to uh, both repair their ship and squib it, which is to make it look like a different ship. Rickety Squibs is uh, quite north of Cliff Scrape and the Cliffsend Bay in southern Lazar Principalities. Yeah, small correction there. The truck is not the craziest. He's the smartest. Just, just to clarify there. Just minor, <laughs> minor the most detail there. Too, I'll wager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, understood. Couldn't agree more. So, with the successful co completion of your mutiny and the taking of your ship and the leaving of Bonewreck Island, at that point, you all will received your next advance, which now takes you from the novice rank in Savage Worlds to the seasoned rank. It's your first seasoned advance. Uh, what is everybody taking for their advance? Well, for me, I'm taking two new powers for Torlin. I'm going to be picking up divination as well as object reading. Yes, but I still have to assign trappings, which is something that you have to do here in Savage Worlds. These are both powers available to us now at Seasoned Rank for those with the bardic arcane background. But I just heard a, oh, so maybe that's going to get vetoed. <laughs> but I thought divination was a veteran rank. So, no, you're good. It's seasoned. Yes. Well, Dana increased a pair of skills, uh, bumping battle and persuasion both up from a d6 to a d8. Uh, narratively, that tracks with her new position and, and discovering that she can lead a crew in some sort of relatively okay fashion. Out of game, mechanically speaking, this also serves as some prerequisites for plans further down the line. So, D8 in battle and persuasion. Nice. In the case of Truco, it's a good old sneak attack, which uh, in Savage Worlds translates to more damage when the enemy is vulnerable, or if you have the drop on them. And for Ruskell, I went with the Streetwise Edge, uh, as you just heard from the backstory question, but also with Ruskell's time on a pleasure yacht called the Hand of Plenty, he's learned how to talk with and operate within that sort of seedy underbelly. And so he now gets plus two to intimidation and persuasion rolls made to networking with shady or criminal elements and plus two to common knowledge rolls pertaining to the types of disreputable activities listed above. Nice. That might come in handy in the principalities. Yeah, there's no shady elements in the principalities. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Maybe. Not at all. I don't think it's going to be very useful. These are legitimate salvage operations. So... You left what you come to find out later is Bonewreck Island. It takes you about a day and a half to travel across Cliff's Edge. 
to get to a rickety, it's known as rickety squibs. It is challenging because you are pretty undercrewed. The ship is still severely damaged. It's not handling very well at all. So it takes you longer than you would expect to get there. But you got you all managed to get there in one piece, basically. It is now the 14th of Olaroon. So Dana's at the helm. Who are the other pilots that you have on the ship that you allow at the helm? I believe we just there's probably that. three shifts. Yeah. I believe we'd previously established that Moira has some skill taking the helm. And I want to uh, um now say who now is the other pilot. Okay. And uh so you're up on deck. It's late afternoon stuff. Fish goods is there with you. It's just like so I've been to Rickety's before. It's pretty well hidden. There's a spit of land that kind of comes out that he's got a watchtower on. The watchtower will be providing a signal that you'll want to pay attention to. Because if there's uh, any ship there, they're not going to want you to come in at all. Okay. What's the signal for no approach? It's a blue flag that'll come up. And when it's clear? White flag means come back later. White come back later, blue go on in. Uh, White and red checkered flag. Is Truco up in the crow's nest? Maybe he's sleeping in the crow's nest, given how tired he was. <laughs> I just look up and yell, Truco! What? What? Uh, yes, Captain. I'm Keep here. An eye on the wa- <laughs> Keep an eye on the watchtower to port. If the flag is blue, we can sail through the channel. If the flag is white and red checkered, we need to stay put. White, no, no, and blue, it's okay. That That's what I understand. Excellent. What else do you know about uh, about Rickety Hake fish guts? Secrecy is his trade. That's why if there's any ship there, nobody's allowed, because not allowed to see what ships he's working on. Quiet place, not, not a lot of people looking to stir up trouble. Wouldn't even call it a port. It's not a port, it's Rickety's. Everybody there is working for him. It's his business. Oh, there's nowhere around here to nowhere around there to get a meal or a drink or something. Oh yeah, He's, there's a there's a number of families that work there. Stuff. It's just not uh, it's not a port of call in the sense that uh, you might be talking about. Oh, that's fine. I just want everyone to to have a few days off the ship. Is all. Norlin comes sauntering up, overhearing a portion of this conversation. Fish guts, you overheard the story that I told this morning. You put any stock in the rumor that that Hakes the Bird Eye is a predecessor of this rickety Hakes fella? I don't know who he's related to. He did serve on a bearded whore, though. Oh, that's a curious thing. Or what was the name of that ship? Well, in the tale that I told, the the bearded whore, and this isn't one that I created myself. I overheard it in the stories and certainly didn't add any hyperbole to it or anything along those lines but yes bearded whore was in the story as well might be worth doing a little bit of subtle digging to to see if you've got any connection there uncle but don't poke too hard we don't want to we want to get on his good side yeah well hakes the bird eye was around some 90 100 years ago something they'd have to ask the, yeah, well, the so were you. <laughs> You were around a hundred years ago, too. Could have been longer than that. You never know these stories. 
Listen, I when Truco gives the signal and we can start putting the word out that I'm gonna want you know, I'll put the word out about the crew get leave. I pull out fourteen Galifars from my, my own purse and hand them to Torlin and say, hand one out to everyone. I wanna make sure everyone gets a real nice meal or two. Uh, we could just take from some of the stores, you know. Yeah, we could, but we don't really have a lot of that right now, and I want them to know it. it's something from the captain. I want to give it to them. What plans do you have for dividing the shares? <laughs> what shares? We need to fix the ship. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it at dinner, maybe in a day or two. For now, I just want to make sure everyone gets a few days leave and something hot to eat. Hey, that's the rub of it, it seems. It'll be done. Torlin wanders off. Before we we do wind up pulling in at some point, I want to go to my cabin because I figure there would be at least a change of clothes there from the previous captain. So I'm not quite so dirty. It's very loose fitting. That's fine. You know, just go wash my face and uh, get a fresh shirt. Come back out on deck. So... You all notice that there's pretty much a, a cliffside that's running along a headland that slopes way up and you can see a watchtower kind of at the top of a promontory. Give me a notice check there, Truco. First roll. First roll of the new season. Let's Ooh, see, that's count, a five. That's five. good enough. That's more than a four. I mean, you think there's just one figure up there kind of sees you, you see him look back towards in the other side of the promontory, which at this point where you guys are at, you can't see beyond that, right? He raises a, a kind of a yellow flag, waits for a little bit, kind of comes back to the other side, closer to where you guys are coming in, brings up a blue flag. Blue, blue, what what was that? That was, that was, was that okay? Yeah, I guess, yeah. And then, what was the blue flag for? And I shout out, Blue flag means we're sailing on in, right? Keep up there, guide us through the channel. This is it. As you come around the promontory, you can see there's a jungle river that comes out. There's sluggish brown waters kind of staining the, the sea blue that's coming in. Makes for a really weird coloration. You can see that there's a series of docks that's built on this estuary. It's a bunch of buildings that are kind of concealed behind all the foliage that's there, lots of jungle trees and whatnot. And there's actually a ship coming out, sailing towards you, a small, long ship with half a dozen crew on board. And they're coming out to meet you. I just called down to them. You taking us in? Actually, they come up and go, hey, need to talk first. Captain Daniel Lazani, I hold out my hand. And you see... Uh, so there's a guy that kind of comes out to your ship, really balding, play, really old, white beard. He's got one of his eyes, got milky cataracts in it. He's got a pipe out. Seems pretty spry and limber, though, as he's kind of climbing up the ship. And he gets up on decks and he, he kind of nods to all of you and goes, Rickety, hey, who's the captain here? That'd be me, Daniel Lazani. I hold out my hand to Rickety. Uh, he just walks right up and shakes it. He goes, welcome. Uh, what can I do for you? We need a port to make repairs and uh, we need a squibbing. 
Ah, repairs and squibbing, huh? Uh, let me see. Uh, we had uh, some damage taken in an attack. We've had. We've been through a nasty storm, and we need set to rights. Need a fresh start. Heard you're the sure, man. Sure, sure. Take me around the ship. Where, where are the what kind of repairs you need? What's the damage? I see there's uh, a lot of the a lot of your masting issues and stuff like that will be taken care of in the squibbing. What other what kind of damage you got? Let's start from the bottom and work my work our way up. Moira, I wave to Moira, and uh, if Russ and Torlin are on deck, which I assume they are, I'm gonna wave them to join us as well. And if Truco wants to hop down from the crow's nest, that is his prerogative. Yeah, definitely. Just all right. Well, Hake, I'll give you the tour. Yeah, because a lot of the damage, most of the damage was you know down below the bilge line and cargo hold. What I'm envisioning is that, you know, as I'm going along showing him stuff that Moira's helping chime in for things that are more her expertise as a master carpenter. And the key thing I want to land on is making our way up to the cargo hold. Yeah, I mean, he looks at the damage and talks about stuff like that and goes, so is the repairs and squibbing all you want? Is there any additions or changes you want to the ship wholesale? There's a couple. Do that kind of work here as well. You know, there's a few, there's a few I'm thinking of if, if we can swing it. First off, you know, kind of cast an eye around the cargo hold and look over my shoulder at Russ and say, how do you think uh, this space could be fitted for for stabling a larger animal? Hardy, step ahead of you, Captain. And Russ pulls out a little folded up piece of paper, probably got a f- couple little water spots on it, unfolds it, and there are a couple sketches on it for how he might envision transforming about half the cargo hold into a stable and the re-engineering of the cargo doors to allow for a ramp part of them to allow for egress from a parasite flyer. Now, when were you going to show me these plans? Uh, good time never came up, but... This is a good... Oh, this is a good time. Yeah. Uh, what do you think, Rickety? Now, when you say a, a, a ramp, what do you mean? The way the ship is, there's, of course, the hatches that you open from the main deck, and there's an opening right down through the second deck that goes down to the cargo hold. So, in fact, there already is easy access for to the cargo hold. It's probably about a eight-foot or so clearance from the, the cargo hold, the gun deck, up to the main deck. So adding at least like a middle stair or something for a, a hippogriff to at least get a little bit of assistance so it's not making a, an eight-foot clearance jump, you know, something to kind of assist it onto the, the main deck. Nothing too too dramatic. He goes, half the cargo hold? What are you putting in here, an elephant? You know, it doesn't need to be half, most likely. I'm just... I've never actually designed a stable before, but uh, we're stable. So you're looking for a horse, like a hippogriff. Actually, I've heard about it done before. Ah. Hippogriff, yeah, hippogriff's about the size of a horse. You know, he kind of leans over to one of his companions that are, that are with him, and they kind of talk. And he kind of turns back to you and looks at you, and goes, "So, one your ship squid. I don't judge who comes here." to ply their trade and pay for my services. But I, to help assist you better, are you gonna be engaging in uh, acts of uh, creative apprehension of goods? 
we're gonna need to we're gonna need to find some ways to transport cargo and possibly people. Legitimate okay, so, salvage, of course. Of course, absolutely. Salvage and passengers, oh. nothing more. So, because if you want to take up half the cargo hold for a stable like this, your options for uh, salvage, if you will, would be quite limited. Is is that what you're looking for? Or are you looking for a balance of maximizing one at the ability to even have the other? Captain, I don't, I don't want to take the whole cargo hold. We still need to function as a ship. You're not. You don't need to take the whole, the whole hold. The man said you only need half. And if if, he, no, he if we can half. get by with, if we can get by with less than half, we can get by with less than half. I was just overestimating. I've only heard about parasite flyers or parasite mounts in in pirate ships and you can see like ruskell has like scratched out his own designs like the one that he presents is like the third or fourth iteration of this so he's still figuring this out if they have a and if they have a a better design if they've done something like this before i'll i'll defer to their expertise that's all i'm looking for we yeah we need room for cargo but it's not all going to be for cargo we need to get this man in the air when we were sailing with the Fuchuante, we carried lots of cargo at times, and when we had a, an overestimation or a excessive amount, we would stack it up on the main deck. Amidships. I'm just trying to understand your needs to make sure that... Uh... Though uh, it, it probably wouldn't hurt if we could uh, figure out something a little further below decks where we might be able to keep private cargo that you know sometimes you just need a little privacy you don't you don't want that even lower that kind of stuff is easy to fish out down in the bilges got some ideas here uh this kind of ties into both those both of these as possibilities is is brig something that you really need it's something we need for the foreseeable moment till we uh, get to our next port of call we've got a guest at the moment could just time to the mast i don't know any visitor that you any guests that you have gonna want to leave on the ship while we work on it let's figure i'd leave someone to guard them but if where where would we bring them in port we got we got a place we can help you out with any other special needs or interests there's at this point you know you, you've made it above the cargo he wants to see the whole ship, so you go from the cargo deck and back into the where the officers' rooms are, and the room back there takes you up onto the weapons hold and, and the room that's in there. What is what is the state of the Griffin's weapon deck? Like, is there a how how is it for portholes and hatches and stuff? You guys only have two ballistas on the ship, uh, and they're actually up on the top deck. Mm-hmm. He can create some modifications for some more portholes for weapons. Yeah. If that's what you're looking for. How long is this ship? You said it was about, what's well, about 80, 100 feet long? Uh, Three-masted galleon, traditionally, we're looking in the 150, 200 foot range. So if we're going with like real world numbers, I'm going to say I want six more portholes for, for future ballistas on each side on port and starboard. We'll see what we can do. Yeah, we're looking ahead to the future. Uh, next question. Do you also need uh, ballistas as well? They'll they'll certainly come in handy, but we need, we do need to prioritize at the moment. 
Yeah, understood. You take him up to the top deck and everything, and and he goes into the front compartment, which which is where the map room was. And mm-hmm. he and he looks and he goes and says, "Is this map room you want to keep? Need to need to stay?" It's good to have a space to uh, to chat with the officers. So unless my cabin, I need to have some kind of space. Why? What are you thinking? I'm just asking. More space for for other things wouldn't hurt. You able to you able to add any room onto my cabin to to have a table and uh, six chairs in there? I mean, that's what we could do, but you're talking about some major structural reconfiguring there. Then we're going to stick with map room for now. The only other kind of upgrades, really a small upgrade that I'm thinking of, is I need to need to chat with Fish Guts first. Uh, ask him if he's staying. If it's a conversation you need to have to decide what to work on. You three, uh, if you want to keep showing showing Mr. Hake around, you need to have a quick chat with Fish Guts. I'll be right back. All right. Hey, Fish he's, Guts. He's in the galley. He is. He's drinking. He's still drinking, huh? Fish Guts, you sober enough to talk? Roll them dice. Do it. Yeah, oh, totally no. doing it. Oh, no. <laughs> really? Can't remember if low uh, numbers are good. He, he is sober. Low is good. We want low numbers. Yeah, he's yeah, what can I do for you, Captain? What do you think of this galley? Is it uh is it workable for someone of your caliber? Oh uh, yeah, definitely. It'll it'll do That's, nicely. And are you gonna be the one using it? I I told you back on the Storm Reaver that when I escaped I'd take you with me and you laughed in my face. Well here you are. You're not Mika Rock faces anymore and you're not mine either. Where you go next is your call. I'd be very happy to have you stay with me, but if you want us to take you somewhere else, I'll do that. I laughed at you because I never imagined in my wildest dreams that anyone could get out from underneath the thumb of Rockface. Well, I'm different. I can see that. I'm, he takes he takes a pull on his tankard. He goes, got my freedom, eh? Yeah, you do. Mika Rockface might have tried to own you, but like I said back on the Storm Reaver, I don't own anyone, least of all you. Well, I ain't got no other place to be at this time. You've done all right by me. I'll stay for the time being. Right. Well, in the time... You need any additions? I'm a little bit more storage in here wouldn't hurt. All right. I'll talk to Rickety. Excellent. And, uh, Fish Guts? Yeah. Maybe now that uh, maybe now that you got new start and a little more to more to look forward to, if you are gonna stay on this crew, I need you to cut back on the drinking. Not saying cut out, but I need to cut back because I need you in good work and shape. Make a persuasion roll. <laughs> oh. Here we go. And make it at a, uh... a minus eight. <laughs> uh, not a minus. Come on, I've been, working, I've been working my ass off getting into Roll for the minus. Oh, that was a good speech. She get, she deserves a bonus for good speech. She gets a free uh, re-roll because persuasive. Mi- minus two. Or a penny. Cruel man, Philip. <laughs> no, I just understand addiction. <laughs> Doesn't matter how persuasive you are if somebody's addicted to something. Oh, that was... Yeah, that's a negative one. I'm going to take my free reroll on that. This is zero. 
Not that it matters. Yeah. That is a five fish real quick for a raise. Why not? I'm expecting all bennies to be spent on this roll. That is a four. I'm going to, yeah, you know, I'll do two bennies on this roll. So that's one more. And incidentally, I'm giving you a penny for your little speech with fish cuts. I also get one for Russ for whipping out a whole map and diagram of how a hippogriff can be held on the... Well, since I got a new Benny and, and rolled another five, I'm going to use one more Benny. <laughs> <laughs> There's the ace! There's the ace! There's the ace! Hey. That is a... What is that? 20 on the persuasion roll to... Uh... You want to spend any more like Bennies? Four races? He nods, he nods at you. He, he kind of looks at you if you say that. Kind of looks down at his tankard. And kind of looks up a little sheepishly and is like, hi, hi, Captain. So, um, you come out on deck. Rickety's been kind of like talking with his people. You know, he's got two other people on the ship with him. One of them was sitting there kind of like writing notes on everything. And as they look at the ship and he goes, um... As you come up, he's like, "Yeah, all, all this is, is very doable. It's going to be your stable and what you want." As he kind of looks to you, Russ, and points to you, and he goes, "You have a couple options in the hold. Hold gives a little bit more headroom. Might work out that way better. But there's another possibility." He actually points to the map room and goes, "We could widen the door here. You know, that is a whole stable space for a hippogriff." Russ will take a walk in and look around. Captain, I think he's got a point. Is there a way we could move charts and navigation either to officers' quarters or the, that that room uh, at the bo- at the back of the hallway, down by the officers' quarters? There, it's good to have ac- quick access to the charts. So why don't we put a table in my cabin? And that'll do. With with the repairs, the squibbing, one uh, hideaway compartment. Yeah. Changing this room to uh, a stable of sorts. Uh, we're looking at uh, 9,250 Galifars. Well, this is before adding up the, the sellable loot, but we've got 43 Platinum Dragons and 786 Galifars down in the loot. That gets us uh, barely over 11 or 1,200. There is considerable value in some of those pieces there in the party loot. Like, sack of dinnerware, 600 Galifars is what it says. About- yeah, a lot of gold. There's Three a of gold. Each bar of gold is fifty galifar. Hmm. So, I did total all up. If you want to rely on oh. me, real quick, yeah, that would be great. That would be great. <laughs> that would save me a lot of math. <laughs> <laughs> now, if you sold all the artwork type stuff, everything yep. that's in there, yeah, I I came up with five thousand three hundred thirty nine galifars, plus the coin. You're looking at six thousand six hundred twenty one. 6,621 total. Yeah. The bracers, those will fetch a pretty penny. Says they've got about 4,200 in value on them. That'll bring us up to 10. And still still let us pay our crew. All right. I don't know anybody here that uses shooting necessarily. Sell them. Let's sell them. We'll get more loot later. Just sell and some of the the crew that we have. We'll get him something else later. Well, Rickety, what kind of payment do you take? Does it need to be all coin? Or otherwise we'll need to move some stuff. We take all kinds of stuff. If you got 
Bitcoin, if you got treasure, if you got, uh, I mean, I hear tell you've got a guest on board. If you have a guest that's worthy of ransoming, we'll take that in payment. If, if I've you're, got a different if, plan for her, but we've got, if you're very we've got short, coin and we've got treasure. If you've got enough, that's uh, that all works. We do. Sounds like I'll, we do. Uh, but I will let you. I will let you look through it. Make sure you're getting your share. When I hear, when Torland hears Rickety talking about the guest on board that he hears about, is there any sort of uh, wariness that I might have uh, with how he's talking? Give me a notice roll first. I'm also, Torland also, he hasn't been talking too much, but he is kind of paying attention to Rickety's mannerisms, how he carries himself. He's kind of curious if he has sort of a military background that might be bleeding in and is still in his old age into his pace and his uprightness and his speech manners. Let's see. Sure. That's a five for the notice. I mean, he carries himself like a sailor. Clearly, you don't get a sense of any sort of military or anything like that. He's He's been very friendly, very open. And by awareness, do you mean... I wasn't exactly thinking of a good way to to say it, but when he brings up that he's heard rumors of there being a special, very important person who we're talking about, Legra here, that's valuable information. Mm-hmm. Like, does he sound crafty when he's? No, I mean, well, I mean, as as far as I know, you haven't mentioned any names. You've just said that you have a guest here. Any okay. Name? Or okay. Philly. So, so that's, despite that's the fact that he probably would, would you have kept him from seeing the brig? Yeah, because he'd want he'd want to see it. He'd want to see it. It. Yeah he he wanted to he wanted to see the whole ship. I mean, yeah, you know what? In that case, then he has seen the prisoner. Whether or not it, that is someone he can actually identify by sight. I think no. that. So, I'm trying to recall exactly the circumstances in which we learned that we were going to Rickety's and the context of his reputation. I think some of it came from a, a history check that Torlin made so that I would maybe think that he has a impeccable reputation as a... I believe you rolled really good on that, yeah. too, didn't you? I did. Got like success in a couple raises. Yeah, Sorry, between fish fish guts. Guts, we have no reason to believe Rickety is blowboard or scornier yeah. to get us. From what I remember that you rolled really, really well on the common knowledge check to find out about Rickety. You, you've heard that he's, his business is based on secrecy, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. only way, that's the only way he succeeds. He guarantees the secrecy of any ship. So any ship that comes in there that gets squibbed, when it leaves, it looks like a different ship and nobody's gonna know what ship it was. At least not from him. Yeah, this is someone You've actually even him. heard that that's like, like he does do, he is known to have done some lending as well to do squibbing, that he takes portion of your proceeds until you pay off an amount. And if you've heard that he's never broken those unless you break paying him and then he will let fly the secret of your ship. Yeah. That's the can- only case you've ever heard of him breaking secrecy, but he, his word is impeccable basically. Yeah, he's, it's he's not known just livelihood that depends on his discretion it's also his life that depends on his discretion when if you're going out and making you know enemies you shouldn't so i don't i think we have no reason to be suspicious of him sure yeah so so in that regard uh 
I mean, we'll say you're not a check. He did say there seemed to be recognition across his face when he saw Mr. Lagra. He didn't say anything because also during the course of his whole conversations, he's already used a great deal of discretion. You know, I'm talking about, uh, you know, goods that you might not want seen and, you know, salvage. Now, he's, he doesn't even mention piracy, any of that yeah. kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, even on top of the deck, he just said, you know, I see you have guests there and we're willing to take party that can be ransomed out for pay, which ransoming is a thing that happens. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, him saying it was definitely in that regard. You didn't get anything shady or shifty from it all, Tarly. Well, we've got enough coin. We've got enough treasure to make up the rest. How, how long are we looking at? Should take about seven or eight days. Right. Where can we stay in port? I want uh, everyone having a place. He points over to, you can see, uh, even from where you're at, you can actually see there's this uh, kind of tower sticking over some of the trees. It's not super tall, uh, but it's tall enough to be above some of the trees and above the hill line and stuff like that. And goes, there's rooms that you can stay in there. There's a uh, tavern there. You know, you're all welcome to stay here for as long as uh, repairs are made and taken care of. Uh, all that being paid or... Is that an additional cost? No, no. no. We, we pay our own way in port. You've got to support I mean, the local the... businesses, my friend. Uh, yeah, but he, he, he pats you, you on the shoulder, Torlin, and he goes, hey, he understands it. Rickety here's not running a charity. He's doing a fine service, but he's not running a charity. I mean, with what we are paying, definitely we are. This is not a charity, but anyway, Trico, you'll be fine. If you need yeah, extra yeah. coin, I'll help you. I'll yeah, make sure you sure. have a place to sleep and you get your meals. Don't worry. Yeah, don't worry about that. I'm pretty accustomed to either way. Yeah. And I just real quick, I want to, uh, I don't know if anyone is in favor or not. I want to keep the ivory dice set with Jade. I don't know if Trugo can keep that. It's a Anything that you want to keep, I would just drag to your locker and then they won't okay. get yeah, sold. Yeah, I can do that. There you go. Thank you. Just to clarify. Yeah, just let me know if there's anything because value may affect stuff. Because yeah. he's not going to give you full price for the bracers. Mm. Yeah. I do. No one is. Let's be real. So, yeah, if there's nothing else immediate at this time with Rickety. Nope. And then if you want to dress the crew real quick, then we'll go to a, a break right there after uh, you're done with this and the ship gets pulled into dry dock. All right, people, listen up. We're getting repairs. We're getting squid. It's going to take about a week. So you've all got that time on shore. Torlin will hand out some, some coin to get you started for your first few nights. When you're in port, just treat the locals with respect. These folks are here to help us. We're doing business with them. So have fun, blow off steam, but don't get yourself into the kind of trouble that you disrespected the locals getting into. And everyone be be back here on board by noon on the 21st. And if you're not back here by then, I'll take that as your sign that you don't want to keep sailing with us. So I'd prefer if you told me a little in advance. There aren't any penalties for that. Everything you came on board with, you take with you. I won't leave you empty-handed. And what you do next is your business. And if you come back, 
I'm happy to have you. But that's that. Have fun. Be good to be good to everyone, and we'll see you in a week. I I look up to Rust and say, that definitely is a change of pace, isn't it? At least was what Dana is saying. Is saying that's quite nice. It's definitely different from getting clubbed on the head and dragged down to the bilges. Yeah, right. It's a, a bit of a difference there. Yeah, at least at least in the approach. All right, go enjoy yourself, my friend, and uh, don't get into any trouble you need me to bail you out from. I can promise that. I can't. Really, I can't. Uh, it's quite difficult. Raj, at this far. All right, and from here we will take a uh, our evening break. Welcome back, everyone. We're back from break. So, Rickety points out that... This building up here is the commons. It's where most people stay. There's a tavern here in places to sleep. You know, there's a shop here in this boathouse. And there's upwards of, you know, 80, 100 people that live and work here. A bunch of different things to do. The building on top of the hill is off limits. That's his personal abode. It's an old school mansion. And I want to be clear on something, Dana, because you told Tolan to give everybody a Galifar but you mentioned giving people more coin. So Galifor is not going to last them very long, definitely not seven days. So I don't know if you were intended on paying for everybody while they're through their whole stay here or just be a nice captain and give them something for their first couple nights here. So Ellie has no idea what, what the kind of, what these kinds of general costs are that you'd expect from port like this, but Dana could ask Rickety. Yeah, how, how much is Well, what's your intention? Are you, are you intending to pay for the whole crew stay here for the week? Depends how much it costs. That's why I'm asking Rickety how much food and board is gonna run us. Oh, you can ask Rickety, good call. Uh, <laughs> uh, just because we, we'd never answered this question earlier, I counted there are 17 crew, including the four of us currently. Okay. Which I'm assuming you're talking about. Yeah, I'm talking about the, the NPC crew, not, right. not the party. It looks at you kind of, surprisingly or questioningly or something, but doesn't say anything. And he does say, uh, probably looking decent food and board, uh, Galifar night. Galifar night? I will uh, cover cover the crew's room and board for that Galifar night and make it clear to everyone back in that speech that, you know, I'm setting you off on the right foot because I'm here to okay. do right by you. I already paid them one, so 14 times six is... Oh. No, clear. I'm bad at math. Kevin just did uh, it. Yeah. Times six is 84. So I'm going to mark 84 Galifars out of my purse. But you may be here up to eight eight days, eight nights. Well, right now they're getting seven. <laughs> okay. This is uh, clear. It's not a port. It's, it's a working place. There's lots of people here. There's people growing food and... and all sorts of stuff. There's there's definitely some shops here. There's kind of in this area, there's a little kind of some market stalls and whatnot. The commons is clearly, it's like an old villa that's been commandeered and kind of turned into an inn. Uh, is there anything you all want to do during the day? I think the first thing, Nana's first thing just before dinner is she wants to get cleaned up and uh, 
and get at least a proper fitting shirt. Yeah, okay. Was was there anybody who wanted to do any interludes or anything before the evening? Sure, yeah. So before we even get to Rickety's, there has been some activities that Torlin has taken part of aboard the ship. Um, whatever time he was spending not as a part of the repairs he would have been with Tamroth Scrimshaw. And Torlin has a little favor to ask of Tamroth as he's found these scrimshawed uh, whale bones of various sorts. So he comes and approaches her at some point when she is uh, available. Tamroth, I'm hoping that you have a little bit of time that you could help me out. You know, you can consider it if you if you like a favor repaid for a favor given. Getting you out of that cave. I don't like people to owe me too much, so... Uh, this would be a good way for you to get out of that burden. Okay. I'm just looking. I've got this, this scrimshawed whale jawbone. And I'm looking to have a little fetish made. During this journey, I've been doing my prayers to Oladra and the Traveler, as we seafarers are wont to do sometimes. And, well, I've been feeling uh, a bit of a connection myself with the Traveler. So I'm hoping that you could fashion it into such a kind of a fetish. If you could break this jawbone into five pieces of roughly straightened bones and then fashion them together into sort of a star configuration would do just fine. One that I could wear around my neck. I think that's something I can manage. Ah, very good. Shouldn't take too much time at all, I imagine. Well, I will see. Take a couple days. Oh, perfect. I uh, I appreciate that. So you tell me, I do this and we're square. We're square. That's right. You make a horrible cloud river. Well, there's a reason that uh, Dana doesn't want me to be the quartermaster. I think. Well, understood. Okay. Well, I could do this. I appreciate it. <laughs> and he spits on his <laughs> hand and shakes with, extends it to Tamroth. She spits on her hand and shakes in turn. Ungloved? Foul. <laughs> this is a this is a PG thirteen podcast. <laughs> no, it's not. Just just for clarity, is this the, the same whale skull with the spells on it? Seagulls in the air. <laughs> hunting me. No, there's there's multiple. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> We were we were about to we were about to come to come to Oh my god. That's definitely not too because that the whale skull the scrolls are written on, I believe is twenty-five pounds. So in order for Tamroth to build something that can hang around his neck is it's gonna be pretty heavy around the neck you if he she used that skull. <laughs> the beard of holding has has magical <laughs> powers that <laughs> But even it has its limits. We just haven't found them yet. Yeah, that's that's a scene I want for now. So passing the con shop to somebody. Okay. I did decide I'd like to do a, a quick exchange with Sandara Quinn before we pull into port. I guess while I'm guiding us in, I wave her over onto the quarter deck and say, Miss Quinn, how are you doing? Are you recovered? I plan on sleeping quite a bit. Hmm, that's 
I was hoping that you might. You can definitely see both, both her and Tamroth still got a bunch of scratches and bruises on them and stuff like that from their ordeal. I was hoping that you might be able to do me a small favor while we're in port. What's that? I need someone to keep an eye and be a companion to Owlbear. I don't know how well he'll fare in a place like this. And he knows you and he trusts you. I mean, I'll do my best to watch him. Thank you. Yeah, that's all I needed. Speaking of which, you've reminded me of something that I've forgotten about. So um, probably before you got to Rickety Squibs, Sindara would come up to you, Russ. Oh? Yeah. And she she, she kind of looked at you and goes, uh, so I, I have a sneaky suspicion that you had a lot to do with me getting rescued. Long silence. You're part of the crew. That's all. I, you saved my life, and uh, I, I don't forget that, and I appreciate that. Clearly, our way guided me well when she told me to help you when you first came onto the ship. As an offer for my thanks, I want to give you this. And she takes her hat off, and she hands it to you. I can't. I, I'm thanks, but... You have to. You truly going to refuse a gift freely given? No, I guess I can't, can I? All right, I'll take it. Now, uh, it, it, if you need a small skiff, it's nothing large or anything, but uh, if you need a skiff, just just speak out. Our way is great blessing and sight. And uh, that will turn into a small boat. You got a powerful connection to that goddess of yours. I came to it through experience. Did you grow up religious? Oh, yes, me and my father, we always... We prayed to the seas and, and, and the bounty that Huawei provides through the oceans here in Lazar. You know, the devourer is not the only one that controls the seas. When I, uh, when you were gone, I found your, your holy symbol and I, I said some words and well, look, I, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about the gods in Lazar or even really Corvair, I never really was never religious. But anyway, it sounds like she likes you our way. I mean, I get that sense. She wanted you to be saved. I'm I'm just an instrument. That's all. She kind of gives a little smirk and goes, Maybe it's you that our way likes. After all, it's it's your prayer that she answered. And she just kind of winks at that with a sly little smile and she just kinda like turns and walks away. Russ will just smile and go back to looking at the the whale skull. Okay. Take a look at this hat. Try it on, I guess. Yeah, and it it fits. All right, so you guys, you all get to the ship. So it's definitely pretty pretty active here. Um, there's a lot of activities going on. It's definitely kind of a haven for seafaring folk, Lazarites. So just everything you'd kind of expect to find. If there's like any like mundane gear you want to purchase, there's no issues with getting any sort of mundane gear here. So just go ahead and spend your gold, drag over whatever you want. If you look in the compendiums underneath the uh, Savage Eberron gear compendium, we'll have everything, kind of the standard stuff. So no need to kind of necessarily bother with that. If there's nothing else, me, I wanted to have a small interlude. I don't know if this will be the moment we will be leaving the ship into the whatever place we are sleeping in 
the Riggedy Squid, right? Uh yeah. is gonna take a time when whenever everyone left. Um like kind of alone at the deck and just um next to the main mast and just hand on the mast and just thinking to himself and saying uh, I know this I mean we met such a such a short time ago and we are already parting ways but you are getting you are getting changed you're getting in a we are gonna put you in a better place hopefully better than before and uh, I know change is hard but and he tips a bit to himself and says change is is good this it brings sometimes the good parts on us and i hope as beautiful as you are looking at the whole ship this change will be uh magnificent but we will leave you here for a couple of days hopefully you won't have any trouble with it uh now let's make some money and he parts ways from the ship and probably lose some money too <laughs> yeah yeah i mean implicitly that's how it's gonna how it's gonna go but explicitly uh, i think Truco should have a benny for giving the ship a pep talk before she gets squid yeah definitely it's a good thing you didn't split up that party loot before you got to the shore otherwise you might have come up a much shorter <laughs> so evening time comes in the comments it's it's very active in the commons, the, the tap room. There there are some minstrels going, people. Uh, actually, the whole crowd is sharing some sea shanties and especially with some new people here. If you're okay having your conversation in the main area, it will be pretty busy and a lot of people around, or you can you all can go outside someplace. It's a bit chilly out during the evening. It is still winter time, but you are much further south. I then think where you we guys should find out. a nice table by the fire. It's a noisy room. There's nothing real private. Okay. Kind of what what I'm picturing is that we'd have agreed to just meet at the tavern at a certain time. So I just come on in in my uh, in my fresh set of clothing and uh, head straight up to the bar and say, four pints. What do you got? Got some grog." Anything that's not grog. It's been a long month. How much are you looking to spend? Uh, I don't want to spend more than a Galifar person. There's going to be four of us. Eh, I got a decent Braylish brandy. <laughs> That'll do. Yeah, I, uh, I collect four drinks and claim a table. Sure. Are, are the rest of you already there? Yeah, sooner or later, Rascal's going to be sitting down there. Come on over to the table, you know, with the drinks in my hand, two and two, and put one in front of everyone, drop into a chair, raise my glass, and say, here we are. And I knock it back. Good health. <laughs> yeah, to fortune. By the gods and the crown. For the queen. I say that with a, a little bit of a sadder, quieter tone and finish off my brandy. Uh, Russ has to drink to that for the queen. So here we are. I'll have to admit, I never thought that I'd see land 
of my own choosing again, and it feels pretty damn good. It's been a long six weeks. I'm glad we all made it. There are a few rough times in there, but yeah. Yeah, I must say, it's really, really fucking good to taste freedom after all this time. As he's uh, sipping a bit of half, half of the mug, not the whole thing. You spent managed to spend a lot of time out of out of jail cells in your day, huh? Ah, I mean, uh, I mean, I've been escaping really <laughs> well from it so far, but uh, let's keep it that way. I will just say that. Really nice to be here, just uh, enjoying a a nice drink, and not to think about whatever we have to do on those days at the ship i mean it feels like a couple of days ago but still feels like pretty recent uh yeah to the queen even though i don't feel anything much particular towards her or the i never knew her personally i think i did see her from another deck at one point but uh friends in six torlin no, it's a true story. We acted as a escort. That's right. We yes. good Queen Daniel once, did you, old man? It was too far away to see if she winked back, but yes, I did. I saw a young, young baby, uh, the prince as well. It's a young boy. Which one, Orgas? Oh, really? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Fetching young lad, it seemed. Shame Seems. all that's all he's got going for him. I would have certainly agree to that. Look, that's that's something I want to talk to the three of you about. We've uh, we didn't mean to come together, but we did. We didn't mean to have a ship, and now we do. And um, I lean across the table with my empty glass, and my other hand drops down to my knife and starts playing. And I lean in close to everyone and say, I came to the Principalities for a reason. And that reason is because Prince Orgev isn't doing right by the people of Seer. The land's gone. No one's changing that. No one's disputing that. But we are still here. And we need a place to be. And living off of Borinel's scraps while Orgev does nothing but see to his own comfort isn't going to cut it. It doesn't cut it for me. It's not going to cut it for our future. I came here trying to find people and money to find us, to find us, because we are seer now. A place to live and a place to call home and a place to be and take our place in Corvair again. And I intend to still do that. And now, with a ship, well, a lot of doors just open, but... Well, there's you, Russ, and there's you, Truco. It, Torlin, Torlin came here with me knowing full well what the deal was, but it's not our ship. It's yours, too. What do you say? Should we make some money for the queen? Now, I'll add to that. I don't know if the two of you have heard much about Orgiv, but Dana and I, we spent some, some months in the new Seer camp there with all the other refugees and trying to help with what we could and we learned about uh, some of Orgev's efforts he is quite wasteful 
all of that time spent worrying about the Mornland and trying to recapture what was once lost. Ruskell, that, that story that you told, I think you know more than anyone, that there's no going back. There's only finding something that's new. Torlin's right. Seer, the land is gone. Seer is her people now. And we need to take our place back. It was stolen from us a hundred years ago. And we need to take our place back. What do you say, Russ? Want to get back in the air for Seer? I was... I was sent up in the sky the night that the Karnas siege started, right before the day of morning. And one of the last people I saw on my way out was Princess Maria, uh, Queen Daniel's youngest daughter. And uh, when Daniel was was fierce and steely, she was already uh, hardened. Not exactly the most charming individual, but but Maria there, if I could give Sirens a, a place to live, I feel like I'd be doing her a bit justice and all the people that were left behind in the mists and all the people who got displaced by him now. I'm in. Drugo keeps sipping, like he keeps drinking, empties the mug. <sighs> well, that's, uh, that's quite a proposal, isn't it? If I'm honest, if you would ask me that six, seven weeks prior, I would, I would have said, fuck no, and I would just left whatever uh, the situation was. But knowing a bit more of you people, and I love what you said there, Dana, that we are just people now, us people of Seer. And I would like to, I would love to believe that we always were just people. And I like this type of people as not the nobility or the whatever royalty is still out there for Seer. And, and if, if more people like us or like, I never went to New Seer, sorry, and I don't have the experience. I just got on a boat, a boat and left before things went sideways. So I did haven't got to experience maybe the worst the worst part of it all but i would love to know actually uh and if people are out there needing of a place to be and a place to feel free like us are right now to some extent then i will really fight for it and i, I now i feel like that which is pretty nice for a change i would say though i would wouldn't do it for the queen, even if, even if it is for an ideal matter. I would do it for the people of Seer <laughs> and give the power to them whenever possible. You'll have no argument for me there. We all honor, we all honor memories differently. Though, uh, we'll say that not all Seer nobles are so bad. I wasn't born to my name, but that's a story for another night. You are the exception to the rule. Anyways, I don't know how many of the current crew are uh, are going to want to stick with us. Probably only so long as there's as there's coin to be made, and I intend for there to be coin to be made. We're we're going to need it. Hopefully, the rest 
Mora, as we find more crew, we'll find more crew who also want to help give Seer a future. Yeah. A new Seer. I mean, a new new Seer. <laughs> Indeed. You're a good man, Truco. I don't think you know that, but you are. Also, I have a couple of ideas in making money here that I have to say are really nice. <laughs> it involves uh, Albert, by the way. We... What what do you mean? I need him for something. We he was he was misused and abused long enough, true. No, 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 no. It's not, it's not about misusing. It's about I, I will speak to him. We are quite close. It's just I, I just to find ways to have fun. And maybe makes a bit of makes a bit of coin in the process. We'll talk about that in the morning. For now, who wants another round? I'll buy this one. I'm certainly not letting any Sirens drink me under the table. <laughs> Russ gets up and goes and buys the next round. Buying the same thing? More brandy? Yeah. Yeah. You have the bottle for uh, 10 Galifars. Done. Let's bring it right on back. I'll mark that off. So Torlin cracks his knuckles a little bit. There is the matter of crewing the ship there, Dana. You have any thoughts on that? There is. Most often I've seen a port like this. If you put out words at the docks and taverns that you're looking to hire, people show up on the docks and you take your pick. Hoping we'll be able to to put some of that word of mouth to use here. Saw it happen in Port Virgin Regal Port well enough, but we can also go out asking. Which raises the question, we're not just going to need to crew this ship, we're going to need to staff it. Which means officers. Yeah. Had some had some thoughts on that. Truco, I uh I'm someone who always keeps my word and I promised you when you got me my knife back that I'd do what I could to get you your revenge on Scourge, and you weren't able to get the revenge you wanted, and I wasn't able to give it to you, but some say the best revenge is a life lived well. He was the bosun of the Storm Reaver. How'd you like to be the bosun of our new ship? Stay up in the rigging all day, handle the swabs, tell the ship she needs to go and get her hyped up to go there. Truco like looks at the distance, like like in a thinking, in a like quite a smiling, smirky, smirky face thing. That's that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, I can, I can just get my benches by being the best, the best way that I can be, with the best thing I can do. I like it. Good, you're hired, <laughs> Russ. What kind of role do you think you'd like to to sit into? on a ship like this. Well, I'm a military mage, ma'am. Uh, Captain. Uh, I'm <laughs> not around real... the table, Russ. It's just Dana. All right. I'm not good for filling the sails with wind, but I can train the crew in how to fight. I know sometimes in ships with planned boarding action, they'd have a, a master at arms, somebody who can run the crew through drills keep him up to snuff, manage the weapon locker, and that seems to be about right for me. Be the future hippogriff that we will have. That's right. 
I wouldn't want to be on your your quarter deck because if I'm going to be up in the air, can't really do a whole lot of stuff in two places at once. But if I'm master at arms, then I'll make sure that when it comes down to a brawl, our our swabs and our riggers know how to throw a punch and and swing a sword better than the other guys. <laughs> Cannot imagine a better person to prepare the crew for battle. Forlan, I'm gonna need at least for now uh-huh. an acting first mate. I know there's I know there's things that are more to your style and more to your first mate. I need someone who can until we find someone else, I need someone who can back me up, keep the crew in order, and uh, help take care of business. Well, I'd be willing to do it, but it's not just a matter of that. I mean, it's it's fine and dandy for us to discuss these sorts of decisions beforehand, but we need to also present these things to the crew. I think that uh, it would be a mistake to run the ship as a military ship, if we're speaking freely, like you've just given Ruskell the permission to. I think that if we want to really inspire a sense of loyalty amongst the crew, that the crew has voting powers amongst decisions that aren't made in the heat of battle and turmoil. And traditionally, amongst a pirate ship, or at least so I've heard, the first mate would be voted in. So, sure, I'd be happy to do it, but only with the crew say so. Well, right now, for one thing, this isn't going to be a pirate ship, and for another, right now, most of our crew isn't really necessarily people whose loyalty and judgment we can count on. If we get a bunch of new people here in port, they're not going to know you or me or anyone else from the ass end of Kyber. We, uh, they need some structure to come to. And we take a vote with those that remain from the journey here. I'll abide by that decision. It's going to be hard to separate them from any new crew we pick up. That can be done. We haven't put the word out that we're looking for work. I'm sure there's plenty asking about the docks already. I should hope so. As far as the duties of the first mate, I I think that I can do a good job. I was, uh, for a time there, the years on the Fletchewante, I, I did a, a few shifts there at the helm as well, so I can navigate, or at least turn the wheel. As good as the next. This point of order to point out what you were talking about, Torlin, you would actually know that many pirate ships, either the first mate or the quartermaster, would be voted in as representative to represent the crew among the officers. Yeah. It comes to me now a, a good point, is if I'm going to represent the crew, then they need to have chosen me to represent them. Otherwise, there's not a whole lot of meaning in that. It's a position that goes both ways. Perhaps once a couple of my tales have gotten passed around this small little hamlet, they won't know but to vote me in. Perhaps. Now, I do have somebody that, well, is not but rumors, but that ship that I told you about that I served on, the Fletcherante, I think I've mentioned before that there was rumors of it being off of Kraken's Bay when the day of morning and the fifth fleet of Seer, well, they were scattered to the winds. 
I heard that actually some of them had some run-ins with the Storm Reavers. Some of those wound up in various ports of sale here in the principalities. Refugees, free hands, dock hands. If we can find some of the old officers aboard that ship like the captain, he was a good man. If it weren't for him, I probably... Uh, it would have been a very different path for me. <laughs> that's You remember, that's why I was thought it was a good idea to go to Regalport. That's where we heard rumors about Hershon the Unlucky. And hopefully then, uh, Captain Alexei Arlent. Yeah, I know Alexei seems like a general neutral name, but also it's it's mostly a male name in, in a far-off land called Greece. <laughs> Well, I I do intend for Eagleport to be our next port of call, so if we can keep it near to the ground for Captain Arlen, though um would a captain wanna wanna serve in a lesser capacity on someone else's ship, you reckon? Well that's that's if he still has a ship. At the very least he might be a friend. I think it would take a little convincing for Arlen to get behind this cause that we have. It'll be at least two weeks before we're in Regalport, so we've got some time. That's done. My glass is empty. Why don't you give us? Why don't you give us a story, Torlin? Oh, and Torlin will. He'll get up on the table with his newly minted bone harp and start to regale the the tavern here, the commons, and all who will listen with the. Uh, just a, a short little stanza of some of the capers that the crew of the Majestic Griffin so far have come across. It's a, story, a song he's working on, to be sure. So it's, it sounds like you're tell, telling a tale for glory. Indeed. So I, I think I reminded you in the last one, you have three events you can tell tales from, so you can spread these out over the course of the seven or eight days that you're here if you want to. Which particular event are you looking to, to talk about or to tell the tale about, I should say? Well, I think that Dana would have had probably some foreknowledge of him working and murmuring while he's been working on the repairs of some of these verses. So it would be in his intention to tell the story of the, the capture of the majestic griffin and the Subduing of Lagra, I think. So those could be told as two different tales because there's the initial capture of the Majestic Griffin, technically by the Cloud Reavers. The mutiny, that. There, there's the mutiny is another one of the tales. Then, of course, the other tale is of saving Sandara and Tamroth. And... I think, so yeah, it tell would the tale be of the mutiny. The tale of the mutiny. Okay. I think Captain Lagra will be named, but. We'll we'll leave the Storm Reavers out of it for now, and if the name's recognized around these parts, well, so be it. That's them's the ropes when it comes to garnering glory. It's a two-edged sword. Is anybody supporting him somehow, or is this all Torlin? Well, they'll support him, and you know, throw in little uh, interjections or or cheers here and there, or. Oh, and he's being humble. It was even better than that. Specifically when I get to the part about Dana. <laughs> when you get to which part about <laughs> Dana. So from the sound of that, it sounds like 
you'd be kind of involved with the performance. Oh, Dana's been learning a little bit. So give me a performance. I've roll given for her support. my old harp as well. <laughs> Am I right to assume that you have replaced your harp focus with a upgraded harp? Oh yes. And okay. uh we've we brought along old what's her face Cusselot. Rosie Cusswell. Rosie Cusswell. <laughs> Where she's right. just like, yeah, fuck yeah, Tortland. Oh, she's got her her, her little banjo or pipe flute or whatever it is. This uh, Rosie, make a make a performance roll in support. This just went from. I'll I'll go ahead and support as well. Sirens, they're they're trained in the the Adiverse. It's an Ondarian tradition to have Adiverse songs, and so I think Rustle as part of seer and appreciation, we'll just go ahead and, you know, throw a verse in there. Oh, there's uh, it's going to join as they, well, at least about how they some add parts. crab meat for a week. <laughs> okay, <laughs> the add verse, that sounds like another performance role. Yeah, uh, there's a chorus. There's a stanza and a chorus and another stanza there uh, for two different hey. sections of this mutiny. So y'all are joining in on the chorus. That's keeping her four. That's an ace on the wild die. So Ruskell gets an 11 and I'll certainly hold that. By the way, we didn't get adventure cards yet. Yeah, we did. Uh, we did. Oh, we did. I have one. I do not have one. Really? You do not have one. I do not have Wait, hang on. I'm looking in the wrong area. I'm bad at this game. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, mine was just not at all applicable to a role play session, so. Well, let me double check. Do I have one? Yeah, I do. Uh, Rosie got a two, spent a penny. She's halfling got luck. Uh, she got a three. So nothing from Rosie. She's pretty drunk by this point, but she's <laughs> playing the crap out of her fiddle. And she's just throwing in cuss words all the time. It's just like I have nothing to do with the stanza because you guys didn't practice this or anything. I, I am actually going to, now that I actually see my adventure card, I am going to play my adventure card. Hey. Oh, uh, yeah. It is contact. What? Your friend, your hero, finds a friend or acquaintance who helps him in the current situation. No way. I mean, what else? We've got it. Let's do it. Yeah, we're, we're, that's awesome. This is a glory. This is, you know, for glory. So I think the Majestic Griffin, somebody from the crew, maybe it's Sendara, maybe it's Aretta of all uh, people. A friend. We're currently I mean, it can at three be anyone. points of support for Torlin. Yeah, so far. Chuko got... What did Chuko yeah, get? Chuko uh, tried to help in the situation, tried to sing a bit, but he's really bad at singing. He tried to, like, do some drum thing at the table, but he's, like, at this tempo with, uh, with things, and he's not... He's drunk, and he thinks he's helping, but really he's not, to some extent. So that's a, that's a tree in the role. Anyway. So to your great surprise, Torlin, Crimson Cog joins into this with great gusto shouting out and even expanding further on and goes, no, it wasn't like that. It was like this, you know, it says it's even bigger than what you did. Oh, there's a, there's a chorus that's supposed to end the song. And then he goes on with another stanza. Right. <laughs> so go ahead and make a performance roll. You got three, we'll give you four plus nine to your roll. Don't crit, don't crit fail this. Please don't crit fail this. <laughs> Please crit fail I, I got this. five bennies. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm rolling. That's 11. 
with five bennies yeah, uh, that's a 12 two, all right, right. What, what do we think group should i do another what what's is there any benefit for multiple races on this more no, glory oh well okay then if that's the case keep the 12. Keep i the guess 12. we keep the 12. take the 12 and run yeah so in the dice box then click the acing for the exploding dice and give me a 2d6 plus plus one that's looking like a 15. that's an ace aced once so you all get uh, 16. 16 points of glory from this awesome we all get 15 points of glory 16 more points of glory from what you already have where is that tracked it's under um, the traits it, section. Oh. Yeah. Additional stats. All right, right about quick brings access. us up to 23 glory. So if you scroll down on that page that I just gave you, you'll see glory. And the way glory works is every 20 points of glory you collect, you essentially get to get a, what I refer to as a glory edge. And you need to meet the requirements for it. So far, 20 points of glory, you can only take two things. There's combat prowess, which you gain a combat edge that you meet the requirements for. You have to meet the requirements for them. Or you can take heroic status, which gives you a bonus to persuasion, intimidation, and networking walls. Those are the only two things that are available at 20. So when you get to like 40 points of glory, that's another 20 points. You can take another edge and you can meet any of them that you can make up to the requirement of 40 points of glory makes am i making sense yeah that's you have 23 points of glory now i believe most everybody does i think there might be a slight difference um so like let's say truco you take heroic status you get a bonus to your persuasion checks and intimidation checks should you do something and you lose glory let's say you lose four points of glory and go down to 19 you then lose access to that heroic status until you get your glory back above 20. Okay. All right. Okay. That's cool. So I'm kind of envisioning after Torlin has done this amazing song with all the, the hype from Russ and Cog and Dana and whoever else is getting, you know, adding to the tale. I'm picturing people starting to, to come up to the table and want to meet the captain. I'm going to, I'm going to claim the heroic status edge from my 20 glory. Okay. And don't have to determine this now because this is the first time this has happened. So, and it is towards the end of the evening. So if you want the week to think about it and come back and call out next sessions, that's totally fine. But I imagine Dana's not going to change her mind. So it's totally cool. <laughs> How does one lose glory? Is it kind of like alignment sort of thing? Yeah, there's kind of like, you know, if, um, it's, a, it's a little bit more flexible here in the Lazar, but generally, um, like if you're caught committing, doing a significant crime, you may do uh, lose glory. Piracy is not going to count here in the Lazar, right? You know, if you're caught murdering somebody, word gets out, you'll lose glory. You do some cowardice or something like that. You break an oath, you know, things of that nature, lose glory. You heard him, Torlin. No disintegrations. <laughs> Even though you're telling these tales at the seasoned rank, these are tales that you did in the novice rank. But so you know, now as you get higher up in rank, 
you begin to get penalties telling your stories because the more glory you get, the more people are going to expect you to do. Okay. You know, some some new folks slaying 10 goblins is an incredible deed who've never been heard before. People who've been around a long time and done a lot of stuff, going to kill 10 goblins and everybody's going to be like, what? That, Of course you did. <laughs> so that plus six that I had from stuff aside from the support role came from some of those yeah, things. Every- for instance, Storlin is a storyteller, so he gets a plus one. That's what I'm looking at here. Yeah, exactly. There was a couple wild cards that you fought, things of that nature. So depending on what you can tell a story for, for glory points, there will be bonuses and penalties to that role based on what you're telling the story of. Some stories are more prone to people going, whoa, that's amazing. And other stories are more like, eh, that wasn't so such a big deal. Cool system. I like it a lot. That's cool. Yeah, this is from the Hellfrost system. I I fell in love with this when I saw it. I thought it was an excellent thing. The only thing I'm wondering, potentially looking forward to next time as we're sitting here drinking and and singing and taking in, you know, accolades. Is there anyone coming up who cares at all about the dragon mark on Dana's face? Good call out. Uh, Give me a notice roll. It's a four. I'll spend my last Benny fishing for a raise. That was that's a two. I'll keep the four, please. No, generally speaking, you didn't notice too many things. I mean, uh, you guys, while you were sitting around the table chatting, there were some looks that kind of came over you guys. You weren't totally sure if they were like looks because you were the newcomer or because of your dragon mark. They were and certainly no one made a remark you. or anything. Yeah, that. none of that happened. All right. And with that, we will end our session tonight. All right. I was playing Truco, and I am Ernesto here saying goodbye. I'm Kevin, and I played Ruskol. I'm Ellie. I played Captain Dana. Welcome to season two, y'all. Our rollers just dig it in. This is Michael signing off. <laughs> Did that just for you. This is your Dungeon Master, Philip. Thank you for listening tonight as the start of season in the name of seer have a good night good night